This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Amen. I'm talking about in our series here, facing the storms of life, and we all go through storms. There's times, there's seasons that we feel like in the storm. Many of you feel I'm in the storm right now, and in the conclusion here, I'm going to have a challenge for us all what to do. You know, they say when you preach or teach a message, you should have two things in mind. What do you want them to know, and what do you want them to do? And so I'm going to share what I want you to know, I feel, and something I want you to do at the end of the message. And so <clears throat> we're talking about it. This is the third week in our series, and our text is Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, talking about in the storm. Jesus is in the midst of the storm. And he's coming to the disciples in the midst of the storm. And so this series is about how we can personally grow and develop through the storms of life. Quick recap here, very quickly. We talked about that in storms, the storms have a purpose in our life. It's not that God's trying to make your life miserable, but he's trying to train and grow us and mature us. Can I get an amen? doesn't seem like that. We're in the midst of that. But I want you to notice the last one, the measure of my teachability and that, that the storms reveal that in our life. And, and <clears throat> you know, what are we learning from the storm? And because the last thing is we don't want to go do another circle. Isn't that right? Go back around in the circle. We don't want that. So Matthew 14 is the story of the disciples being out in the water and Jesus coming to them in the midst of the storm. Now, I'm just going to read a couple of verses here and, and, and just touch on what I want to get to. It says, right away, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and start back across the lake. So Jesus made them get into the boat. That's actually a strong term there in the, in the Greek. It means get in that boat. They didn't have an altar. He didn't just say, well, you guys get in the boat, do what you want. I'm going to pray. He made them get in the boat. He knew there was a storm coming. And some of you, the storms that you're in right now in your life, God is orchestrating you in it and through it. Here's the good news about a storm. You will come through the storm. Amen. You will come through it. You know, the purpose of God is not for you to camp in the storm your whole life. Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and start back across the lake. But he stayed until he had sent the crowds away. Then he went to the mountain where he could be alone and he prayed. Just underline that. Later that evening, he was still there. By this time, the boat was long away from there. It was going against the wind. It was being tossed by the waves, the scripture said. And a little while before morning, Jesus came walking on the water, a miracle, something that cannot happen in the natural, but it was a supernatural, and Jesus could do that. He's God Almighty. <clears throat> Toward the disciples, when they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. They were terrified and started screaming. You know, these are tough guys. These are fishermen. These are not, you know, pampered guys. These are fishermen. These are, you know, guys that, uh, you know, dealing with other men and out in, the, out in the sea. And they're screaming, so they're pretty scared. You need to know it's a frightful moment. But Jesus said to them, don't worry. I am Jesus. Don't be afraid. And Peter, we all love. Peter goes, well, if it's really you, then let me do what you're doing. And I said that, in the, you know, that how many know that God wants us to mimic him? Now, and then this is seen, you have to go out in the lake here, Latoka, and jump out and think you're going to walk on water. That's what I'm saying. But there's a spiritual truth here that, that we are to emulate Christ. Okay? He's calling us further. And we said this, that, that at this point we kind of emphasize Jesus said, come on. So Jesus 
gave that command for him to come. And I just want you to think about that in life and situations that you, that you have, that a lot of times Jesus is not telling you to do that, but sometimes we step out anyways. Amen. Amen. Are you awake this morning? It's true. And we incur things that he never intended us to do. But then there are times, and I believe probably more so than others, that he says, come on, I want you to step out. And we're too timid. We're too afraid. Oh, pastor, I can't do that. Or you know what? God might be calling us. Oh, that's not me. I'm not gifted that way. Or I'm not. And we're going to hit on that in a moment here. But but when Peter, the Bible says, saw how strong the wind was, the Bible said he was afraid. He started to sink, and, and he cries out, save me, and the Lord was right there, and pulled him up, and, and, and then they began to worship and said, you are the son of God. <clears throat> and so we said this as we kind of quickly recap last week, we could be in the will of God, and we can be in the storm. So that means you can be having a storm of your life. And not, you know, a lot of times we think that we're out of God's will. Yes, there's a point where we can, you know, through sin and disobedience, get out of the will of God. But, but a lot of times is we're in the will of God, just obeying God, and these storms happen. And then we begin to question. We begin to reason, and we wonder why. And so we, we touched on that last week. And so as we continue, 1 Corinthians 10, we left off with this, says this. There isn't any temptation that you have experienced, which is unusual for humans. In other words, Everyone in this room, everyone in the sound of my voice has been through this. God, who faithfully keeps his promise, will not allow you to be tempted beyond your power to resist. I want that just to sink in. The devil made me do it. I can't. That's a lie. If you're a Christian. Now, if you're not saved, listen, man, he controls, he runs your life. You have no power. Did you hear that? You have no power. You are just succumb. You'll just keep going back and forth and tossed to and fro and, and with, without any power to be free. That's just, that's your life. That's just the stamp on your life. Alcoholic, boom. You will be that forever unless you get Christ in your life. That's the only victory in hope. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> but, but as a Christian, as a believer, he's given you authority. He's given you power and the ability to resist that if you want. <laughs> A lot of times our flesh, we just don't want it. We get into it. But when you are tempted, he would also give you, one translation say, the ability or the way to escape. So he gives you a, a, a way of escape, the scripture says. Therefore, my dear friends, get as far away from the worship, watch this, of false gods as you can. King James says idols. Somebody shout idols. I'm going to go on a bunny trail right now off my message, but I want to hit on something. What is an idol? He's saying because really it's in the context of temptation, right? He's talking about idols, but it's in the context of the verse we just read. He's saying temptation. Watch this. It says anything more important to you than God. Selah. You know what that means? Pause and think about that. Is there anything in your life? Are your kids more important to you than God? Ooh. Is your job more important? Work, 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 work. We've got to get out there. We've got to work. More important than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. It got awfully quiet in this full gospel church here this morning. Amen. It's an idol. An idol is whatever you look at, what you say in your heart of hearts. If I had that, watch this, then I will feel my life has meaning. Then, then I know I have value if I had whatever that is. Then I will feel significant and, and my life will be secure if I had that. My brothers and sisters, that's a lie from the enemy. 
We're going to see that here in a moment. You know, there's many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. Perhaps the best word is worship. What do you worship? So, well, I worship God. I, I, don't, I don't bow down. I don't have any Buddha statue, Pastor Mike, or I don't have any one of the 300 million Indian gods. I don't bow down to the stuff. Oh, wait a minute. We'll just fast forward to 2018 now. There are still idols that are out there that are not made of stone and wood, but they are still idols in our life. Can I get an amen? We're going to talk about that. Whatever you look at, whatever you say in your heart of hearts, that if I had that, that would be, that would make my life so much fulfilling. <clears throat> Someone once said that in all of life, there runs a ground note of cosmic disappointment, one commentator says about this. And in other words, you're never really, watch this now, going to lead a wise life until you understand that. You say, what do you mean? Life is full of disappointment, and the enemy loves that. Say, so what do you mean, Pastor Mike? Just draw your attention. I'm on a bunny trail here. Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29 talks about the story of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Most of you may understand that. Some of you are not. I'm not going to spend the time to go through the whole thing and read all of it. But I, I, there's some interesting truths here that I just want to bring across here. As we, we talk about storms and we talk about temptations and we see the word idol that is involved in there. And some of the storms in our life because of the idols in our life that God is committed to get rid of in our life. He's committed to that. See, we don't recognize that. We wonder, why are we going through the storm? Perhaps maybe God's trying to rid that idol of your life. Can I get an amen in this quiet, quiet, full gospel church here this morning? The more you shout amen, the quicker I get done. Uh, I think I've I I wore that one out too much. <laughs> now watch this. How many remember the story about Rachel and Leah? Okay, the Old Testament. And we see Jacob, Father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. See, Leah, watch this, was the girl that nobody wanted. Her dad didn't want her, as we see we'll share here in a moment what he did. And even Jacob, he really didn't want her. Um, Bible says that she was the older daughter and of, 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 of Rachel. And Jacob, he meets Rachel, he sees her, and he's like, oh, my goodness. This is a hot woman, and he is head over heels over this girl. This is what the Bible is talking about. And, and he is just like, I want her. Then uh, uh, the, the, the father, Laban, goes, sure, you can work for her for seven years. <clears throat> All right, I'll do it. And so he slaves away and works, and it says it was like just a few moments because he was so infatuated, watch this, with Rachel. She was so beautiful, and he's just like, I'll do whatever. I'll get a job. I'll get health insurance just for you, you know, that type of a mindset. And, and, and so, so what happens is, Bible says that, that Leah, she had weak or poor eyes. And some assume that, you know, and I've read the commentaries that maybe she had bad eyesight. It, 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 the passage does not say that Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel could see very well. It's not what it says. Now watch this. It said, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was beautiful. That's what it says. Now watch this. He said, so her weakness probably perhaps meant there was something with her eyes. Or one commentator says that she was cross-eyed. There was something with her eyes. Literally, she was unattractive in some way in her facial with, with her eyes. And so that's pretty sad. But the point is clear. Leah, at least to, to, to uh, Jacob, was particularly unattractive. And she had to live her life. Now watch this. All of her life, the shadow of her sister, who was absolutely stunning. 
Some of you right now, they just kind of went to the core of you, like, mm, my sister, you know, whatever. <laughs> mm, you know, just hang on here. I do have a spiritual point. Here's the thing, and I'm going to get to the point, but let me just, here's another little bunny trail right here. I may have been just really confusing you. God saw, this is what I want you to see. God saw that Leah was not loved, and he opened her womb to bear sons. To not be able to, be, to bear children was a disgrace. It was a horrific thing at that time. It was like, I can't even bear a child. It was like her whole value and worth in her life was nothing. I want you to get that. Just feel that. As a woman, it was just, it was horrible. And they were both, they, they were barren. But God saw, watch this, that Leah was not loved and opened her womb to bear sons. I just put a little note there. You know, God sees the pain in your life. Come on now. He sees the hurt in your life. He sees, and I want you to insert your name here. You can say, God saw that, whatever your name. I could say it like this. God saw that Michael was not loved in his family, was despised, and his father didn't believe his son, so he gave him a big family. That's, that's how I interpret that for me. See, for your own life too. God saw, he sees everything, the pain and the hurt, and he rewards you. He gives you things, because why? He cares about everything of your life. Come on, are you with me this morning? It says, <clears throat> it was not Rachel with her fair-faced and well-proportioned figure and her husband's lasting love that was the mother of the ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus, but it was the weary-eyed Leah. She was the one that the Messiah came through the lion to the tribe of Judah. She had a son. <clears throat> what am I trying to say? God calls people that those people know they don't measure up. He calls people that you feel, I don't measure up, I don't got it. I don't have because I'm not, you know, so you, you know, the Bible talks about comparing yourself. There's so much of that on social media. Let me tell you something. All this airbrushed, stupid stuff that you see out there and you start to go, they have the life. It's hooey. It's just all... What do you call it? Blue and red or whatever the, <laughs> whatever. It's just, it's crazy. They superimpose stuff. So their life is just absolute blast all day. Somebody has to go to work. Somebody has to mow the lawn. Somebody has to do the laundry. Can I get an amen? Somebody has to wake up with bad breath and brush your teeth. Amen. You got to bring it in perspective. You think their life, look at my life. It stinks. No, God calls people. And those people, they have a sense that they know that they just don't measure up, but God sees. Amen? And you know, interesting thing too. Rachel died before Leah. Jacob was buried next to Leah, not Rachel. The Bible says that. Actually, when there was trouble, there was issue, and they, they were fleeing, the Bible says that Rachel was the one who took her father's idols and ran off with them, not Leah. Just some interesting things. Okay, back to our story. So Jacob, he says this. Now watch, he says, if I can just get Rachel... Everything will be okay. So where are you going with this, Pastor Mike? I want you to just insert the name Rachel in an idol. Something in your life that consumes you, that you love more than God. You say, I don't really say I love it, but we act that we love it. It says, if I can just get whatever that is, it's going to be okay. Just like our modern day idols. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's, maybe it's power. Beauty. Maybe it's things. And, and, and so watch this. He says this in the scripture, Genesis 29. So he goes to bed with one who he thinks, after he's worked seven years for, promised Rachel. Scripture says he goes to bed there. And, and, and literally the Hebrew says in the morning in Genesis 29, 25, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. He tricked her, Laban. 
So, no, you have to have the, the oldest daughter. One commentator says this about this verse. He said, it is a miniature of our disappointment experienced from the Garden of Eden onwards. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Mike? <clears throat> All due respect to Leah, and we can learn a lot from in the scripture, but watch this, no matter what we put our hopes in, in our heart, whatever we give our hearts to here in this life, outside of God, in the morning, it's always a Leah, not a Rachel. That's, that's life. That's, that's what you... You know what? I'm going to pursue money. You're going to wake up someday and go, I pursued the wrong thing. I'm going to pursue sex. You're going to wake up one day and think, I pursued the wrong thing. Uh, you know, houses, materialism, beauty, whatever it is, you're going to wake up. It's always idols, idols, work, security, alcohol, drugs, social status, popularity, beauty, stuff, music, celebrities, clothes, toys, children, spouse. They can all be idols if we let them. How many just thank God that he's committed to ridding our life of those things? Amen? He's committed to us. But, but when we chase after these modern-day idols, just remember this. When we wake up in the morning, it's always going to be a cross-eyed Leah. <laughs> it's not going to fulfill. Idols. Talking about idols. Amen. Okay, let me get back to my story here. Is that okay? I'm almost done. <laughs> Little background, it's very difficult time. Matthew chapter 14, fast forward here. Jesus, because Herod had just beheaded his cousin John the Baptist, and no doubt Jesus and John the Baptist spent a lot of time. They were playing together as cousins in their early years, and it was a very painful moment that Jesus expressed in his feeling of the loss of John. And, and so it always is, is when the burden gets heavy in his spirit, Jesus wants to withdraw. And so this is a little background here before he goes out on the lake. And so he sends the disciples out on the boat. He gets rid of the crowd and he gets away to pray. And then the setting of the story is that now, now uh, we ask the question, what is Jesus doing for us in the storm? What is he doing for us in the storm? The first point, and that's all we're going to get into here in the next few moments is Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us. What do you mean? Matthew 23, 24. After he sent them away, the Bible says he goes away a few hundred yards and he begins to, he begins to uh, pray uh, for his disciples. The disciples are out on the lake, and what is Jesus doing while they're in the storm? The Bible says exactly what he's doing. Even unto the early hours of the morning, he's praying. He's praying, praying. How many know that God is for you, not against you? Jesus is praying for you in your storm right now. You need to know that. He's not up in heaven twiddling his thumbs, thinking, I wonder how they're going to do, how they're going to make it today. He's doing something, and, and I love these two verses here. They're very prophetic in, in Hebrews 4, uh, 14 and 15. He says, let us then hope firmly to the faith we profess. For we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has gone into the very presence of God, the Son of God. Our priest is not one who cannot feel sympathy for our weaknesses. God understands what you're going through. He understands what you're going through, and he has sympathy. On the contrary, we have a high priest who was tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. So what does that mean? The scripture goes on to say that we should come boldly, bravely before the throne of a merciful God, and he's going to give us the help that we need. Know this, that God understands the storm. He's not, he's not just oblivious to what you're going through, but he's praying for you. He's praying for you. I heard this statement and I thought it was 
uh, true. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, I'm sorry, 16, we just got that, covered that. Uh, Jesus came to this world to talk to us about God. But see, he's now in heaven, but he's talking to God about us. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Mike? <clears throat> the, the Hebrew writer said that Jesus intercedes. Say that with me, say intercedes for us in our time of need. Or in other words, the Greek actually means in the nick of time. <laughs> he's praying, he's interceding. In other words, we are here on earth encountering storms of our life. But Jesus, as the scripture says, he is at the right hand of the Father. He's praying. He's interceding. And he comes to us and he ministers to us, the Bible says, in the very nick of time. You know, just a, the definition, a quick definition of this word inter interception, excuse me, to intercede, intercession, is actually the word paga, P-A-G-H. And it actually means to strike upon or against. Uh, it means in a good sense, to urge, to go between, a request concerning others. One translation says to represent Jesus. You say, what do you mean? So you could summarize intercession as mediation. It's a legal term. To go between on behalf, like a lawyer you hire, they're mediating you. Jesus is our intercessor. He's, he's mediating. He's going in between on behalf. He's praying on behalf of another. Hebrews 7, 14 says, therefore, Jesus, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. And it says this, he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. One commentator says this, Jesus undertakes your cause, assists you in overcoming enemies, and it helps you. He helps you to live a holy life. He's, that's what he's doing up there in heaven. He's not sitting around doing nothing. He's not oblivious to your life and your plight. He's interceding. He's going on behalf. And he's saying to the heavenly father, that these are my kids. They accepted my grace. They are in covenant with me. And I go between on behalf of them. And I, I work on, I'm helping them. See the need they have, father. Let's move on their behalf. That's what Jesus is doing. It's one thing to have friends praying for you. It's one thing to have a church family praying for you. This is huge. But it's one thing to have Jesus pray for you. Amen. And Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding. He's walked what you walk. He felt what you felt. He's seen what you've seen. He's heard what you heard. And he agonizes what you agonize. You know, I talked to one person one time many years ago and all the horrible things that they went through and the pain and the, 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 the sexual abuse. And, and all I could just, just a comfort in that moment is saying that the comment was, where was God in all this? And I said, he was right there sitting beside you. He was weeping with you as you were weeping. It brought victory to her and her life. <clears throat> Jesus is praying for you in the storm. So in conclusion here, what is our response? There's other points here we get to, Lord willing, when we have time here in the weeks to come. But what is our response here? What should we be doing in the midst of the storm? We just say, well, that's great. You're praying for me. I don't know how that changes you know, my situation. I wish you'd get moving, doing some stuff here, Jesus. No. We have a response. I want you to look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, the Bible says, in verses 24 to 26, it talks about Paul and Silas in, in, in prison. I remember the story. You could say Paul and Silas in the storm. They're in the storm. On receiving this order, the centurion, he said he placed them, Paul and Silas, in, the, in their cell and fastened their feet in stocks. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. You know, I've been a, I remember when I first went to Russia and Ukraine, one of the things they told us when we first got there, they said, never, ever, ever give up your passport, no matter who asks you. 
And so I was with Pastor Steve Cornemont, and, and we were there, and it was our first time. This was in 1994, this spring, and the wall had just came down. The mafia was still, I mean, everything was just, it was, it was tense. <clears throat> and we were there to do some crusades and some, some meetings, and it, it was just a new time. The wall had come down, but, but still, the, the, the people in power were still in power. And as soon as we get into our hotel room and check in, get a knock on the door, Peter Mel, a missionary who's gone to be with the Lord now and tremendous missionary to Russia and Ukraine, he knocks on the door and goes, they want your passports. I'm like, we're not supposed to give them their passports. And they said, they want them. And so he took the passports. Well, unbeknownst to us, he came back and said, man, you guys are messed up. This is, they're, they're, they're ticked. They're ticked that you're here. And uh, you get to get praying because uh, they're not going to let you out of the country. For 12 hours, Steve and I interceded in the room, never left the room. And Pete comes back. Oh, man, I just slapped this guy. He goes, ah, I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was Pete. You know, we had some fun times. But I'm like, here's your passports. I'm going to kill you, Pete. <laughs> you know. So, but, but the point was, is it felt a little bit like, oh, we're going to be fastened to the stocks and everyone in the U.S. will forget about us, you know. It said, but it says at midnight. So they were praying and they were singing. We were doing a lot of praying, but I don't know if we were doing much singing at that time. But, but it said they were singing hymns to God. So here's a horrible storm that these guys are in. Notice what they're doing. Church, when you're in the storm, have worship on. I said, have worship on. If you're in the garage, have worship on. Here's the thing about the brain. The more you put in it, that's what's going to come out of it throughout the day. If you got, well, she left me for another guy, that's what's going to come out of you throughout at night when you're at 2 a.m. waking up. You're going to hear those songs. I'm prophesying right now, and some of you need to hear what I'm saying. I'm in the middle of a storm. I got worship going on constantly because I need to, when I wake up at 4 a.m. going, I have songs are going in my spirit. Songs, I'll get up, go to the bathroom. Worship songs are going on, and I'm not even trying to think about it. Someone needed to hear that. Get, get worship going. Begin to worship God that flows out. You may be struggling. You may be, you know, saying, I don't know if I can make it. You may have just sinned. Have worship going. I said, have worship going. It'll carry you through. Hallelujah. Pray. Someone say amen. amen. I'm almost done here. But watch this. Watch this. They're in prison. But I want you to see this. And it says this. They were singing hymns to God. And it says the other prisoners were listening. To them, suddenly a strong earthquake shook miracle. Foundation of the prison. At once all the doors flew open. And watch this. It says everyone's chains came loose. Now I want you to see something. Paul and Silas are in chains. They're worshiping. But whose chains got loose? Someone shout everyone's. Come on, shout again. Say everyone's. What are we trying to say? They're in prison. Their feet are in stocks. Their backs were beaten from being whipped. <clears throat> So what do you do when you're in that situation, when you're in a storm? What do you do? You do what everyone does. You sing praises to God. Why? Because Paul knew something. He knew something. What did he know? He knew that you can either let your chains break your praise, or you can either let your praise break your chains. And in that moment, he knew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break these chains through praise. I'm not going to let this storm sink me. I'm not going to let this temptation that I'm going through take me down. I'm not going to be identified by this. In Jesus' name, I'm coming out of the storm. Hallelujah. Someone say amen. The Bible says when he praised God at midnight, all of the chains of all of the prisoners were loose. In other words, watch this, watch this. Praise set everybody free, not just Paul and Silas. 
Now I want you to think about that with this main point. Stand with me if you would, please. Sometimes God will use your situation, your storm, to set somebody else free. So maybe it brings a little bit more purpose now to the storm. Why am I going through this? What's going on? Who is this going to help? I want you to rewind in some of your lives. Some of you have been questioning what you've been going through. And you think it's, you, think it's, you know, why, why am I? Why this is it? It might not even be about you. It might be about somebody else. Because why? They were worshiping. They were in stocks and they were praising God. And as they did, chains fell off of everybody else. You don't know the storms that you've been through in your life, who they're going to set. You're going to set free. God's going to use you in the future. Don't know that. Don't know that. This is about me. I'm suffering. I'm going through this and nobody cares. Nobody cares. God's saying, I'm going to bring victory through your life to someone else. Hallelujah. I'm preaching better than you're responding. God is using some of you to break generational curses off your children or even somebody else's life. Embrace the storm. I said embrace it in Jesus' name. See, there are things you struggle with maybe in your past that, that, that you embrace the storm that your children will never have to go through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some things in my life that I struggled to as a, as a young man, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to have this with my kids. What did I do? I was willing to embrace the chains. I was willing to embrace the storm at that time. And I see the victory now in their lives. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, please. Friends, someone's wisdom God can only give you after you've lived a little. <laughs> when you're an old man and old woman, some wisdom from God only comes when you go through stuff. Embrace the storm. Some of you, God is using your situation to bring victory to someone else. But my daughter, but my son, but my, they're going, they're not really, and God brings someone else in your life. And you minister to them and wondering, what about my kids? Or what about my situation? Or what about my thing I'm praying about? And you're pouring into somebody else and, God is using you in the storm you're in to bring victory to somebody else. And he will never forget. I said, he will never forget what you've done. Hallelujah. Every head bowed. You're here this morning. You say, God, I, I've been in the storm, but I don't, I don't sense you, oh Lord. I, I don't, I'm not right with you, God. I need to get right. And that's you. This is a great day. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Now is the time. You're not joining this church, but you would be joining the family of God. If that's you listening by audio or maybe by television, you're here this morning. I'd like us to pray corporately to receive Christ. Let's say this together. Say this. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just feel this so strong. Lift up your eyes. Spiritually speaking, lift up your eyes. 
Some of you feel you're in stock, you're in prison, and God is going to flow through you and bring you through this storm to bring victory to many, many people. So don't look at the storm as something that's out to destroy you. Look at the storm as something out to promote you. It's something to promote you further in the things of God. You think, I don't, I don't feel I have the grace or anointing. Some storms are meant to bring you to higher levels of anointing, higher levels of intimacy with your, with your spouse, higher levels. At the moment, it doesn't seem it. But God is bringing you through, through that valley in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times in meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.